we take that song and partner it with Mark chapter 10, verse 30, 45, where we'll be this morning. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we look at this morning's text, we're reminded what we just heard sung, that Jesus has washed us white as snow. You know, the reality of that sometimes is we sing it often, it really doesn't sink in as much as it should. That he has taken every blemish, every sin, every stain that we have, and he hasn't just washed us good enough to make it into heaven. He hasn't just kind of cleaned us up well enough where we can get in the house and we won't track mud. When you think about the reality of what Jesus has done, he hasn't just barely scraped us by so that we can make it into heaven and he can look upon us. What do we just see? What do we see from Scripture? That he has washed us white as snow. That he has taken every sin as far as the east is from the west. That he looks upon us not in our sin. That he doesn't say there's therefore now no condemnation for no reason, right? He looks upon us as pure and righteous because of what Jesus has done. So these truths are absolutely stunningly brilliant but difficult to internalize and believe. I know many times, in many ways, I still believe that I carry the marks of sin in my life, but you look at verse 45, as we'll get to in just a moment, as we just heard sung. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have washed white as snow, that we stand here today as people who have been forgiven and cleansed of all of our unrighteousness and all of our sin. And it's in Christ alone that we stand and that we sing. So this morning, let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 45, and we're looking at this uh, central theme that the center is service. The center is service. Now, there will be some repeated themes to where we have been the past few weeks in the book of Mark, but that's just the reality of reading through Scripture in context as you come to repeated themes over and over again, and I'm not just going to say, hey, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, so go back and refer to that sermon. We need to hear it again and again and again, right? And so you get to Mark chapter 10, and where have we been the past few weeks? Let's make sure we understand some good context behind where we are launching into Mark chapter 10. You know that last week we had the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and walked away sad because he had great wealth and he was unwilling to follow Jesus in his great wealth. We also saw the week before that that Jesus says that those who would inherit the kingdom of God would be like a child, like with childlike faith. We talked about not childish faith, but childlike faith. And so it's with that context that Jesus is going to walk his way to Jerusalem with a crowd following him. So let's pick up in verse 32 and let's work our way through verse 45. If you have your Bible, you can follow along right along with me. And they were on the road going to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at the right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I am being baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism uh, which, which I baptize, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. It is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became, began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Lord, would you, would you teach us, refine us, shape us, open our hearts to be receptive to what it is that you would have for us this morning, that we would not leave this place, this sanctuary, with unfinished business or with the same heart and mentality that we walked in with. Lord, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be pleasing to you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing that you see on your outline is the disciples were amazed and afraid, but still following. The disciples are amazed and afraid, but they are still following. I, I find it so curious that they're on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus walking out ahead of them. So you can imagine this crowd of people following Jesus going to Jerusalem. And the, the Bible records that they were amazed and also those who followed were afraid two fantastic adjectives to describe the disciples and the crowds at this point. They're amazed at Jesus, right? They're watching Jesus amazed at all that he's doing. Absolutely dumbfounded at everything that Jesus has done. They are amazed at Jesus. But the second adjective, they're also afraid at this point, right? They're looking at Jesus, recognizing that he has done this incredible stuff. They're amazed and they are afraid. But, but, they are still following. Now, I have said this in many, many ways and many times to this point, but I want to say it again. Right, the disciples have messed up over and over and over again. And you're going to see the disciples, the James and John here, they're going to kind of mess up again. Right? They've been through all of these different things. They continually fall short. They continue to mess up. But here they are again, following Jesus. And I know it's just a small portion of the text, but for me, it is so helpful and refreshing that here again I see, that you see the disciples mess up and fall short, but they continue to get up and follow Jesus. It's possible because they have nowhere else to go. They've left everything behind, but there and again, they mess up. They're amazed, they're afraid, but they're following. That's a good, that's a good set of words, right? You may have those adjectives and they may be a thousand different things. Maybe you're scared, you're tired, but you're following Jesus. Maybe you, you feel anxious and you're weary, but you're still following Jesus. Put a lot of different adjectives. Maybe you're doubting and you're frustrated, but you're still following Jesus. At the end of the day, that's at times what we need to do. That's at times what we see in scripture that we're confused. At times we're, we're struggling through all sorts of difficulty, but following Jesus is the key. And it's almost like you can put this picture in your heart and in your mind of seeing Jesus walking out in front of all these crowds of people. 
walking out in front of his disciples. And the disciples just like their leader following. In our household, we play a lot of follow the leader, right? We're learning this new game, at, you know, whatever, whatever the front person does, the back people do, and the kids love to walk around the zoo flapping their wings, and whoever's behind, what are you doing? You're flapping the wings, right? A great game to play with the kids. But it's a reminder, as you see Jesus, that this is what the disciples are doing. They're, they're watching Jesus, they're learning from him, and they're trying to emulate what they see him doing. They want to heal because they've seen Jesus heal. They want, to, they want to pray. They want to give. They want to go because they've seen Jesus pray, give, and go. And so the disciples are amazed and afraid, but they are still following. So I want to just remind you afresh and anew again, if you are messing up and if you have fallen short, if you continue to not live up to the standard that God's called you to, can I continue to tell you, just keep following Jesus maybe you've gotten off the path this week this month this year and you just need to hear the words keep following Jesus keep following the days that it gets hard and long and difficult and you don't know what is up and what is down you feel like the storm clouds of life are gathered all around you keep following Jesus the times when you fail and fall short and you think I cannot fail possibly again keep following Jesus you are in great company right alongside the disciples so here it is, the disciples are amazed and afraid, and Jesus is going to see fit that this is the perfect time to tell them that he's going to be delivered over to the priests and the scribes to condemn him, to deliver him over to death, to be mocked, to spit on, to flogged, and killed, and in three days he would rise again. Right? If I'm Jesus, maybe I would wait a little bit longer until they're not amazed and afraid. Right? This doesn't seem like the proper time with the afraid disciples to say, hey guys, by the way, I'm going to be mocked spit on, beaten, tortured, and killed. Does that help at all? Does that ease your tensions a little bit? You less afraid now? now? This is the moment that Jesus predicts his death. Now for the third time in scripture, in the book of Mark, that he will be mocked, spit on, flogged, and killed. But on the third day, he will rise. Now take this for a moment. This is where we are in verse 34. Jesus had just said, hey guys, I'm gonna be mocked, spit on, killed as we walk into Jerusalem and so a little bit further James and John hearing this come up to Jesus and number two on your outline says that this is a bold request from the sons of thunder right that they're walking with Jesus and they believe that Jesus is about to be killed mocked tortured beaten and spit on so this is the proper time for the sons of thunder to come up to Jesus and say Jesus we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's bold, right? It's a bold request. But hey, we're talking about the sons of thunder, right? You don't get a nickname like the sons of thunder for nothing, right? So here we are, the sons of thunder coming to Jesus with a bold request. Hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, it's at this point that many of us kind of have a negative connotation of what James and John are asking, right? Kind of like, who are you? Right? Who are you, James and John, to come to Jesus right before he's about to be crucified on the cross, right before he goes to Jerusalem? Who are you to go and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask for us? Right? Do you feel that a little bit? Do you feel that in your soul kind of well up like, James and John, what are you doing coming to Jesus and saying, we want you to do forever it is that you ask of us? 
you've done it too, right? Am I the only one who's come in prayer to Jesus and said, Lord, I'm going to need you to take care of this for me, right? You, come on now, somebody's done this before, right? We're all in the same boat. Some of it is good and right. Lord, I have come to the end of myself and I don't know where to go, Lord. I'm going to need you to come through. Right? There are those good prayers that we pray at times saying, Lord, I am desperate and I've got no idea what to do. I am lost as the day is long. Lord, you've got to show up because I've got nothing. You've been there before. Kneeling down beside your bed, coming to the Lord saying, Lord, I have nothing and I don't know what to do. But Lord, unless you do it, I'm going to follow you because I got nothing. And then there's those times where we just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I want this. And I'm going to need you to do it. I don't, know, I don't care if it's in your will. I don't care if it's in your plan. But this is what I want, so I'm going to need it. And I'm going to need you to do it. We feel that difference, right? You, you feel that tension in your soul at times when you come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want. This is it right here. I want this. So I'm going to need you to ordain it to happen. Right? I, I'm going to need you to, Lord, move those stones. Lord, part that sea for me to have that thing that I want. And we feel this bold request from the sons of thunder after all that they've seen and heard in Jesus. Making a bold request of the Lord. There's a lot there that we can talk about, but I want to share just for a moment what I see in Jesus. I mean, he, he just comes back to them and says, what would you like for me to do for you? And then they make this outrageous request. Lord, we want to sit at your left and right hand in your glory. Right, essentially saying, Lord, we want to honor you, but we also want to sit at your hand, right? We want to sit right there with you. Lord, we want to worship you, but we want to be right up there with you. Is that okay? And, and this has a powerful response because you see the rest of the 10 disciples are indignant. This wasn't some small request saying, hey, Lord, bring us all in here. We want to worship you, Lord. No, the other 10 are indignant saying, how dare you ask Jesus to sit at your left and right hands? And what about us? Right, we're in this too. They are indignant at Jesus. Can you feel that Jesus has a little disciple split happening here? James and John asking to sit at their left and right hand. The other disciples indignant at the two. And so you have like a moment where Jesus is going to have to have a powerful teaching moment to rebuke or to correct. What's Jesus going to do? What's he going to do? It says in verse 42, and Jesus called them over to him. And he began to teach him. In this moment that Jesus could have lashed out and said, guys, you, are you kidding me? Are, are you serious right now? Left and right hand, come on. Hey guys, we've just looked at the rich young ruler following. We just looked at the entering like childlike faith. How could you possibly get this thing wrong again? But instead, he brings them in and he teaches them with such compassion. I was reminded of, of a moment in my life where it really changed a lot of my perspective of my dad. My dad, as I've shared with you many times, is entering his 44th year as a teacher at the same school here in Montgomery. For 44 years, he's been a, a fantastic teacher, and he's used that as his ministry as, at the school. And um, when I was in seventh grade, I took my dad's first class. My dad's been the head of the physical education department for many years, and he, he, is, uh, he runs seven, eight miles a day. He loves physical education. He wants people to know how to lift properly and do education of health and wellness, and so he, is, he, he takes that very seriously. And so in seventh grade, my first PE test, I made a whopping 40 on it. Not out of 50, out of 100. A 40 out of 100. I got that test back. 
And my dad took me to Schlotsky's Deli. And I remember sitting across from him thinking, I'm about to get a lashing. I mean, how embarrassing. I got a 40 on a PE test, right, about muscles and how to lift properly. I made a 40. And I sat across from him as he shared with me how, one, how disappointed he was, but also that he holds physical education so important in our family. At a school, he has worked for many, many years to elevate the physical education program of the school, and he holds it very important. And so for his son to make a 40 on a test demonstrates what I felt about it and how I saw such little value in it. And instead of a moment of lashing out and yelling and putting me in timeout for a year, no, he set me down and told me how important and how valuable physical education was and why it was so important and what what had happened in this process. And that moment changed my perspective on my dad a whole lot as a seventh grader. I love my dad. I respect my dad deeply. And in that moment, I recognized that I had wronged my dad and something that he elevated as something deeply important I had, I had diminished and found no value in. And you better believe from that moment on, I made almost hundreds on every possible test. In a moment that he could have lashed out and put me in timeout, he simply set me down and taught me and showed me why I was wrong, showed me with such grace and compassion how I needed to act in the school. And so here, Jesus, with such grace with his disciples, would come to them in this moment that he could have lashed out or whatnot, but simply said, hey guys, let me remind you why I'm here. Let let me remind you who I am. Let, Let me remind you of this and listen to his teaching. Number three, to be great is to be a servant. That's the number three point. But let me, let me just remind you as Jesus pulls the ten in who are indignant and the two sons of thunder in, is there's this division amongst them thinking that they need to be elevated to the highest, most. Jesus is going to bring them in close and say, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but not so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you would be slave of all. And Jesus is not just saying, hey guys, this is how it should be. Jesus says, this is who I am. If you're following me, this is what it looks like for you to be a believer, for you to follow me. And Jesus says in verse 45, the son of man, I came not to be served, but simply to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. To be great in the kingdom, to be great is to be a servant. Can I tell you, to miss being a servant as a believer As a follower of Jesus, to miss being a servant is to miss the heartbeat of the gospel. If we refuse to serve others, if we refuse to be a servant, I gotta say, friends, we have missed the heart of the gospel. When I look at Paul and his identification, Paul easily could have looked at Scripture. He could have looked at himself and say, in Scripture written, Paul, An incredible man who's had his life changed for the gospel. A man who's had a miraculous conversion. A man who's seen it all. A man who's done it all. A man who's saved the multitudes of people. But how did Paul identify? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. How would you identify? Mark, 
father. Mark a pastor. Mark a husband of 12 years. Mark a a servant of Christ Jesus. Because after all, what do we long to hear on that last day? Well done, good and faithful CEO. Good and faithful accountant. Good and faithful teacher. Good and faithful fan. Good and faithful coach. Well done, good and faithful. What is the words? Servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is the core of who we are as believers. This is the core of who we are as a church. Well done, good and faithful servant. That we would be servants of Christ Jesus. This church is a service-oriented church, lifting up the name of Jesus. We serve because he has given us everything. Do you know how easy it would be as we're doing our church budget just to say, well, let's, let's pour all of our resource back into this place. Let's make sure we have the best coffee and let's make sure everything is just set. Let's make sure all of our programming is about us and let's make sure we have everything taken care of, all of our needs taken care of to the abundance. Or would we say, let's, let's partner with church planners who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's give and support missionaries scattered across the face of this planet. Let's do hard things like the master's garden in the middle of Chisholm. Let's tutor children who need tutoring. Let's give of our time, our talents, and efforts. Let's serve in the nursery. Let's teach our children. Let's serve in RAs and GAs and mission friends. Let's utilize our gifts and our talents to further his kingdom. Let's serve the Lord with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. Friends, to be great is to be a servant. This is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And I would ask, if you are all out refusing to serve other people, I would ask you to check your heart for a a multitude of pride. Pride is the very thing that keeps us from serving, keeps us from going. The heart of a servant is humility. We will not serve others without a humble heart. So to be great is to be a servant. And if you struggle and if you wrestle with this reality, let me just give you this word. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. If you're struggling with what it means to follow, if you're struggling with what it means to be the heartbeat of a servant, look to Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Hey guys, you keep giving this wrong, but just follow me and watch. Watch how I serve. Watch how I love. Watch how I give. Next week as we celebrate Jay and Mary Ruth, I... Just had so many thoughts and just thinking through how joyous of an occasion that is to finally get to celebrate Jay and Mary Ruth for their incredible service to our church. Think about what brought me back to this church. As I was looking for a place, an opportunity to serve under a pastor that I could learn from. As you look to, hey, if you need to, if you need to do woodworking, you go out and find an expert woodworker. If you need to do car work, you look for somebody who knows what they're doing with cars. As I was learning about the pastorate, as I had pastored for three years but recognized I needed to be under somebody who I could learn from and watch and emulate by the way that they pastored and loved other people. That's why I called Jay Wolf. I said, Jay, do you know somebody like you that I could learn under? Because I recognized that Jay is a servant, that he was humble. And I wanted to come and learn under somebody like that man. 
And as you're looking to find a servant-hearted person, as you're looking to see what does this look like fleshed out in my life, there's a lot of great examples in this room of servant-hearted men, but primarily they are looking to Jesus. There's some incredible servant-hearted ladies in this room, but are primarily looking to Jesus for how they live their life. So let me just ask you, are you looking to Jesus? Are you following Jesus? And as you follow Jesus, you will recognize, one, how he served. Look to Jesus and see how he served. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The ultimate picture of service is to be founded in Jesus. That he came in the form of a servant. That he healed, that he forgave, that he loved, and that he cared. So we look to Jesus to see how he served, but then at the end we see how he saved. Verse 45 gives us the picture of why Jesus came to this earth. Look at it with me for just a moment. Look, look at verse 45 deeply into your heart right now. This tells us why Jesus came to this earth. He came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus willingly gave his life for you. He laid down his life for you. He willingly endured the cross for us. Look to Jesus and see a picture of how he served, but also of how he saved. He gave us everything. He paid our debt that we could not pay. He ransomed our life from the pit. And so for us, what do we do but give him our everything. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for your graciousness, Lord, your love and your care, your patience with us. Lord, thank you that you have shown us the demonstration of what it means to serve. Lord, that you have served by coming to this earth, dying on the cross and saving us from all of our sins. And so, Lord, now we give you our lives. Lord, would you, would you prick our hearts right now? If there is pride, if there is, there's not a heartbeat of service in our souls, Lord, would you, would you correct our pathway? Would you change us and mold us daily into your image? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.